Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the BWI Daily Edition, ending the week here on a Friday with a fun guest, Anthony Tresh from PFF. I cite PFF stats on almost every single show here on the BWI Daily Edition. So going right to the source to get some information on Penn State's seniors and players that have uh, a bright future in the NFL. And a couple that maybe eh, they're up in the air. So P, uh, PFF Anthony, Anthony Tresh, PFF Anthony on Twitter is uh, on Twitter is with us to discuss those guys. Anthony, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I am doing well. We had you on at the beginning of the season. And you had some not so positive things to say about Sean Clifford that ended up bearing out, I think, pretty accurately once the full season was put into context. Uh, so going into a critical offseason for Sean Clifford, what do you think his future is and what do you think his future should be as far as his decision to go to the NFL or come back for a sixth year? Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends what perspective you're looking at it from. You know, if you're Penn, in Penn State's shoes, you probably kind of want to, you know, move on just a little bit and, you know, start the next era of Penn State football. Um, just because Sean Clifford has kind of shown what he is in this past year, you know, you showed that. You know, Penn State finishes 7-5, and five, Sean Clifford, the same exact passer that he's always been, very, you know, struggles under pressure significantly. Um, you know, I thought he did third wet better in a clean pocket, but at the end of the day, he is limited what he can do from a downfield passing perspective. Um, you know, the one game I will give him props and kudos to the Auburn game. I thought he played exceptionally well. I also thought the game plan was pretty conservative, um, but he executed it, didn't make many mistakes um, and, you know, led Penn State there. But at the end of the day, you know, Penn State, I don't think is going to get to that next level with Sean Clifford under center. Um, and, and so from Penn State's perspective, it's probably best to go ahead and start that next era. From Sean Clifford's perspective, you know, if he wants to keep on continuing, he should probably return to Penn State um, because I'm not sure if he's going to have a better opportunity elsewhere. When it comes to one of the things that you keyed on outside of the the play under pressure in a clean pocket, which was as dramatic of a split I've seen in the PFF grades from any quarterback, not just at Penn State, but in the nation this year, where he was an elite 90-level passer from a clean pocket and then bottom five in college football went under pressure. Another thing we talked about was the big-time throws, those those game-changing plays. Uh, where did he rank in that aspect? Because that was another area you said that he didn't generate a lot of that in the past. Did he get better at that? Is that an area where he took some step forward, or how did that meet out in the end? Yeah, I mean, he definitely improved, and it's also important to look at you know when those kind of occurred. Um, so he had 20 for the season. Three of them came against Villanova, which was his highest graded performance of the season from a passing perspective. So it's a little a little inflated. You don't really want to put too much against it, you know, going up against Nova. That's why, you know, through the first four games, I will say Sean Clifford played, I would say, a little bit above expectation. Um, but again, you look at the defenses he faced, you know, with Ball State and Nova, you get a little concerned, even though that Auburn performance was pretty good. Um, and then, we again, we started to see, the, you know, the true Sean Clifford. And I do think that you know, it was just very hot and cold this year from that perspective. So while he did get better, 
he didn't really kind of come in the moments where he truly needed it. And it was pretty, pretty spotty all year long. Um, you know, multiple games with zero there, you know, one or fewer, um, you know, just half of the, actually about half the games, I believe had one or fewer for the season or for the game, um, which you really don't want to see. And you pair that with just about, you know, the same amount of uh, turnover worthy plays down the stretch. And, you know, that's when you kind of get the middling quarterback play there. So I think he's just always kind of been, you know, the guy. I, I, so the big thing about the, the clean pocket versus under pressure stuff, I do think that a large portion of the clean pocket stuff was just kind of the conservative nature um, that they're facing because, I mean, he had a 7.9 average depth of target. Um, and I don't want to discount the 90.7 pass grade he had when clean because that is very, very good. But he was helped out just a little bit um, just because it was very, you know, safe offensive play. You know, not a lot of room for negatively graded throws there. Um, you know, a little pitch and catch action for most of the time. And then when well, the under pressure play came, that's when you started to see the, you know, the, the Sean Clifford moments of trying to do a little bit too much and get very rattled when the play starts to break down. So he can play within the structure of the offense. Um, but, you know, when things kind of start to not go as planned, that's when you start to see it. So I do think that at the end of the day, we did see some improvement from Sean Clifford. And that's when you kind of see the, you know, the, the senior kind of rise there. Um, but, you know, this is kind of, I think, the ceiling that we're seeing with him. Um, and at, like I mentioned earlier, uh, th it's only going to get Penn State so far with this ceiling. Um, and so that's a little bit of a concern. And that's why I would probably, you know, if it were, you know, my decision, I would kickstart the next era and develop that next passer um, to really take this program to the next level. Because I do think that there is opportunity to do so over the next year or two. So when it comes to context for PFF grades, uh, the injury against Iowa where uh, Penn State is up, I believe, 17 to 3 or something at that point, and then he goes out of the game and they score one more uh, one more field goal for the rest of the game injured presumably for the rest of the season how does you know ancillary things like that work into the data or your evaluation of players when looking into that stuff yeah so i mean from the pure play-by-play -play grading aspect of it the the injuries the level of competition they're faced that doesn't really go into it um, and so that's just something for people like myself, um, my other colleagues, whether it's Seth Lina, Trevor Sikama, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, whoever, you know, when looking at this data, just knowing, you know, the situation that they were in. So if someone is banged up and they probably are, you know, 50-50 on whether or not they should actually even be on the field and they perform poorly because they might be hurt, you know, it's just important to take note of that. Um, and, and so that does play a part into it. Um, and it's the same thing, too. Why it, it's like every single year, the first month of the year, I always say, be very, very careful on, you know, just flat out saying this, this quarterback or this player, it might be the best at the position this year, big breakout year, because you're facing a lot of easy competition. You're getting the non-conference games where you're paying the other program to come to you and play for an easy win um, to help their program out financially. So, you know, it's it's just stuff to take note of in situations like that, um, because, you know, at the end of the day, when we're grading these quarterbacks, you never can, you know, give a little pass there. You know, maybe this guy's got a shoulder injury he's going through. You can't really just, you know, help their grading just a little bit because of that. Um, and so it's just something to take note of when you're explaining the data to other people and putting it all into context. So what is kind of the, the big picture question of Penn State going forward? If if Sean Clifford is not a driver of success for Penn State, is is seven and five a reflection of the team that was put on the field this year? And if you were a Penn State fan, knowing that Sean Clifford is going to operate the offense within the structure and 
really not elevate anything. What would you expect, I guess, to be a, a realistic outlook if Sean Clifford will come back next year? I'm not asking you to pick uh, you know, 10 and two or 11 and one or seven and five, but like, what's the range of outcome do you think from Penn state as uh, that they can expect kind of with that in mind? Yeah. I mean, I would say just about the same kind of exact team that they had this year. Right. Um, you know, in that just above 500, maybe they get eight or nine wins. Um, but at the end of the day, you want to be competing for national titles. You want to be competing for the big 10 title. Um, even the big 10 East division, just getting to the title game would be huge. Um, and, and Sean Clifford, I don't think is going to get them to that level. Um, and so if he were to return, I would kind of expect the same type of Penn State team that we saw this year. You know, one that from offensively, you're going to struggle a little bit um, from a passing perspective with Sean Clifford. Um, and so that's what I would expect. Uh, well, let's talk about some more positive things for Penn State football fans. I don't want you to be enemy number one for Penn State football for the next eight months because uh, uh, the it's a sensitive subject. So let's go on to some players that performed really well. And the guys I think we're going to focus on for the majority of today, as far as their futures beyond Penn state into the NFL, starting with Jaquan Brisker, uh, where does he rank among safeties this year in both PFF grade and your personal perspective of play and production? Yeah. I mean, before we get into those, cause I, I will say Drew Allard, the five-star true freshman, if you were to come in, I think my opinion would be skewed just a little bit because I do think he offers more upside, and I'm never the one to advocate for true freshmen to start at the Power 5 level, at quarterback specifically. Um, but he looks different. He does look different. So if he's in there, I would probably boost my expectations for them just because I do think that there is reason to believe Ohio State might take another step back with losing some of the talent they have. And even Michigan, too, they have a very difficult decision to make at quarterback next year, which right now we're just focused, you know, they're focused, we're focused on them in the playoff. Um, but for 2022, Cade McNamara, J.J. McCarthy, two different quarterbacks, I think that would, you know, the ceilings are very different there. Um, but at the end of the day, going back to what you said, um, Jaquan Brisker, uh, I lost my train of thought, went off on a tangent there. <laughs> I think he's a first round player. Um, you know, this year from a grading perspective, he was near the top of the power five safeties in, in terms of coverage performance. He did take a step back in the way of tackling and run defense because he played closer to the line of scrimmage, more snaps in the box. And you'll see that. Um, but I, I don't think that's a significant issue moving forward. But I do think from a coverage perspective, he is one of the best coverage safeties in college football. And I would expect him to kind of be the same type of player at the NFL level. And that's why I think he's a first round guy. Well, when you look at his two year production as well, where uh, yeah. he was an elite run defender, elite tackler in 2020, missed only one tackle. And then, as you mentioned, was used differently this year for a variety of reasons. Is he a complete safety in your opinion? You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect him to, you know, come in there and be the number one safety in the NFL. Um, but I do think that you know, with his, the instincts that he has, you know, specifically, that's what really jumps out to me. Um, I do think that that's the most important trait that you could have, uh, you know, in a safety at any level of football, because that's when you start to see those high level plays 
being made. And we've seen Jaquan Brisker make those, not just this year, but the year before. Um, because like you said, he's been very productive, you know, ever since he came in there from Juco. So I do think that he is kind of, I wouldn't say the the absolute complete safety going to be an all pro Hall of Famer. Um, but, you know, I do think that with the instinct of play that he has, I think he's a first round player and I think he could be a very high quality starter. In the league. Uh, what sort of uh, positional flexibility, I guess, how would you use him if you were a defensive coordinator? Because as you mentioned, when PJ Musfer went down with an injury, he played way more snaps in the box than he did previously. So he was kind of a fix all, a duct tape, a band aid for Penn State this year on defense. What do you think his best strengths are with that anticipation uh, as as a run defender, as a coverage player, as a slot defender? What do you think his his best abilities are and where would he be accentuated? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he should be limited to the box at all whatsoever. You know, kind of what we saw this year, like you said, a higher rate of snaps in the box. I do think that he could, he is a versatile player um, that can play really anywhere. And you go back to what he did, you know, at, back in 2020, um, and the, the time that we saw him, you know, more snaps of free safety than anywhere. I mean, he really did thrive there. And even back in 2019, um, when we saw him in some capacity, at free deep safety, he was fantastic. So I do think... And that, and that is a testament to, like I said, his instinctive play, what I've been kind of hammering here, that that's the biggest thing. And I think why he's been so successful. And so I think he can be a versatile player. He's, he can, I think, can, you know, go at any position there, um, you know, primarily focusing on him on, you know, around deep, getting him in a too high structure at times. Um, with kind of the way the NFL is trending too, you know, we're seeing more diverse coverage schemes, more disguises. Um, I think those are the the football buzzwords of this year. Um, you know, you think of the Kansas City Chiefs, the you know Patrick Mahomes gets the too high structure and all of that. Yeah. Um, but, Everyone's yeah, not true. playing cover three and putting four people in the box and having a basically a fourth right. linebacker as a safety. Exactly, unless yeah. you're the Las Vegas Raiders and Gus Bradley <laughs> still doing sticking to his guns, playing the same you know Seahawks cover three read stuff. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day. You're getting more diverse, and I think that's when you see players like Jaquan Brisker, I think, really rise and showcase their talents because he can he can be diverse, he can be versatile and everything there. So I think with the way the NFL is trending, Jaquan Brisker is the type of player that teams should really want on the back end there. Um, so, you know, those those really diverse, you know, defenses and schemes, um, I think will cover Jaquan Brisker's ability. Uh, and Penn State has never had a first-round defensive back. Still blows my mind every time I bring that fact up, and he would be the first, and if he's not, then I do believe there is some sort of fix in, and there's that there's some college scouting going on based on where you come from that, that uh, NFL team's like, oh, no, you can't do that. Uh, another guy coming from a different college to Penn State, Arnold Ebikidi, one of uh, PFF's favorite transfers in the offseason. I think Penn State, with... Uh, Derek Tangelo and Arnold Bikiti had your your best or one of your best uh, PFF transfer classes. Were even you surprised by how how well he played at Penn State this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to like toot my own horn or anything, but I I was all in on Ebikiti when he was at Temple in 2020. Um, you know, what the, the snaps that he got at Temple, it were they were high level, man. They it looked special. And when he, I found out he was transferring to Penn State, I was stoked because he's getting a good opportunity to be a part of a very good defense and step in for players, you know, with, you know, very high expectations, you know, losing Adape Owe and Shaka Tony and bringing in a guy like Arlo Lebkede. He lived at, up to expectations. I mean, the way he can win with his hands is special in his past year. You know, it was very much the, the production that we saw him flash back in 2020 with Temple. I mean, that year in 2020, he had an 88.3 pass rush grade this year. As you can see right there, 90.5 pass rush grade. 
um, one of the highest at the Power 5 level, had multi-pressures in every single game played. So I wasn't too surprised at all whatsoever um, because, like you said, this was one of our favorite transfer additions from this past offseason. I thought this was an absolute home run for both parties involved. And, you know, even too, I would put him in the first round with uh, Jaquan Brisker. I think he's that good of a player. I think he has a very high floor to make an immediate impact right away um, for an NFL team. So, you know, I, I think what they got from him is awesome. And I think Arnold Avicade, it still blows my mind that I'm saying this, but I still think he's an underrated player. I don't think he's getting enough recognition for how great he was making the jump from the group of five to the power five. You, you keep answering my questions before I ask him, because that's something I've been watching as far as, as you're right, a, a technical pass rusher. He's surpassed everything I've seen at Penn State. Uh, and there have been some uh, shock Tony for, for what he is, is, is an excellent technical pass rusher. And Ebikidi is that plus the size. So you're saying you would put him in the first round as a as an edge rusher. Is there a part of uh, his game that NFL teams won't like that they may disagree with you? And he might be maybe not a first round pick, but somewhere in that top 50. Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing is just how strong the position is this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at, I, I remember I did a mock draft probably like three, four weeks ago, and that was the toughest des- decision with all these edge defenders. Like, man, I'm leaving some guys out of the first round that, you know, maybe last year, they, they'd be in the conversation for the first or second off the board at the position. Um, that's how stacked this is. So I think it's just going to be, you know, pick your poison. What are you really looking for? Um, and with Katie, I just think with the consistency um in the technical refinement that he already has and you know i think for teams that have a pressing need um and, and again i will say you probably should never go into any draft especially in round one or really any round and look for need right away you should always just go best player available but i do think that arnold ebikade um you know at least for the first three years looking at the this draft class you know through the next three years i think he will be considered you know one of the top 32 players um for all the reasons i just stated earlier yeah and and his his play this year has opened my eyes. So I want to ask you this question that I didn't know I was going to be asking at the beginning of the season. Rank these players as prospects from Penn State. Yitor Gross Matos, Adafe Owe, Arnold Ebikidi. Where does he rank among Penn State's best edge rushers they put in the NFL? And I'm leaving Micah Parsons off intentionally because he technically was a linebacker. Yeah, um, it, man, that's so interesting. I would probably say Arnold Ebikidi and then um Adafe Owe and then Etor Grossmontos. Etor Grossmontos, yep. um, I wasn't too high on. I think I was a little bit lower than the consensus. And even Owe, too, I think he's exceeded my expectations right now. I thought he went to a great situation um, yep. in Baltimore. Um, but I was just a little bit concerned at just how raw of a player he really was at Penn State. And, you know, I think I talked with you, too, um, maybe about this before, but just like the production he had, too. I mean, most of that production in 2020 came against um, Indiana in week uh, week eight or whatever when they started their season because Indiana's yeah. tackles are really, really bad. And, you know, the rest of the year it was kind of spotty. But he's been exceeding my expectations, so he's been great. But as far as, you know, pure prospects, ignoring what they've done in the NFL, I would definitely go um, Ebikidi and then um, Owe and then Etor Gross Machos. Because Ebikidi is, is the blend of what you're looking for from a physical and a technical standpoint. I'm going to get to something about Adafe Owe a little bit later with a guy that has a bit of a decision to make this offseason. But before that, I want to round out with Penn State's uh, I possibly his, the best player, but the guy that I think there might be the most disagreement about, and I think you know where we're going with Jahan Dotson. 
Uh, the raw numbers, the the kind of basic stats, receptions, yards, touchdowns, are phenomenal. Does the PFF grading and does his play match up to that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think so. And, you know, I do think that calling him the wide receiver one might be a little bit of a stretch. I know that was a little bit of a, you know, a thought early on in the season in some, um, you know, drafting analyst circles. But I do think he's a first round player. That's for sure. I mean, you look at his receiving grade, 87.2, you know, some of the best ball skills in college football, um, you know, that really stands out when watching. It really jumps off the screen there. Um, Only a couple of drops for the season. And, you know, for really being the engine of that passing offense, the go-to guy with, um, you know, over 130 targets um, close to that. Uh, it, it's truly exceptional what he did. And I think the biggest thing for me, um, you know, when I was looking at this wide receiver class entering the season, I was looking at, you know, the, the athleticism and everything in which Jahan Dotson, it's been remarkable how much he's kind of improved from a speed and explosiveness standpoint. Um, it, you know, even too, from a route running perspective, I think he's one of the best route runners in college football. Um, pairing with those ball skills he has. So, you know, early on in his career, he didn't really have that, you know, trump card athletically where, you know, he can get by because he has this trait. Um, But I do think that, you know, their strength and conditioning program has definitely helped his speed and built up his explosiveness greatly in that show this past season. So what is knowing how big he is with 185 pounds and 5'11 and and not the prototype size, but having, I think, every other skill of a wide receiver one outside of just the size. What is um, the number, I'd say, in the three-cone drill to show that that explosiveness and agility, and then the 40 time he needs to put up to to put his name into contention for being another first-round draft pick from Penn State, potentially? That's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, the way we're kind of trending, we're kind of going away from those numbers. Because mm-hmm. I, I will say, like, the combine aspect of it, it's very propped up and everybody thinks it's a big deal what they do on the field. But at the end of the day, the the whole event is for the player interviews. Um, But I do think that if he does, you know, if he hits in the four fours and, you know, I I think that's going to do him. I don't think anyone's going to have any concern. I think, you know, the only thing you you can take away from the on-field stuff, let's say like the combine is if a player posts a very, very concerning number, and then that's when you might have to go back and say, okay, wait a minute. So you don't, you don't think Jahan is going to put up any concerning numbers then as far as no, I don't numbers so. that you, you would have to go back and look and see if there's any difference? No, I don't think so at all. I, I mean, I think the consensus will be uh, he will be a top 32 player. I think he's going to be a first-round pick. And it kind of goes back to you know what I was talking about earlier with uh, Evicati. It's just kind of you know pick your poison. What do you really value at the position? Because there is some very – uh, different wide receiver prospects, I will say, that are kind of in that first round conversation, whether it's, you know, Drake London, uh, Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson. I mean, those guys are very different players. You know, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, very different. All, all of those guys are, you know, very unique in what they can offer. So it depends what you're really looking for there. So, you know, from my perspective, I don't really see, I was concerned, you know, when looking at him before this season, you know, you know, from an athleticism perspective, you know, did he ha- kind of have it to really make it in the NFL? Um, and also the size factor paired with that. That was a big yeah. concern. But this past year, he's shown to me that I do think he has greatly improved, you know, from a from a physically standpoint. So I, I'm not concerned about the size. I'm not concerned about, you know, the athleticism. Um, I, I don't and I don't think he's going to post any concerning numbers um, at all whatsoever, whether it's the 40 or the three cone or, you know, pro agility. 
Penn State could potentially have three first-round draft picks, and they went 7-5 and five this season. That's why we started with Sean Clifford. Uh, I want to wrap up with a guy that uh, is a really interesting situation in Jesse Lucchetta, where some draft analysts and some draft people have talked about him as a potential top 100 pick. I think in, in a way that's similar to Adafe Owe, where my evaluation of Owe was his hands are so good against the run, what's stopping him from using his hands that way against pass rushers and the same thing with Jesse Lucchetta he is to me an elite run defender and he's a guy that can shed blocks really well what is stopping him from translating those skills to pass rushing so when you look at his his potential and his size and his production what do you think he should do do you think he should stay and work on that or do you think he should go to the NFL and test the waters as right now a hybrid guy that is a, a very good run defender with not a lot of production as a pass rusher. Yeah, I mean, you know, if he did enter the NFL draft, I probably wouldn't touch him in the first you know couple of days. But I do think he'd be an, an intriguing flyer just because he does have the tools to get there. But I do think he, he can make himself a heck of a lot of money if he does return, because I do think he has the traits to develop into something really, really good and really help his draft stock there. Um, you know, even too like he did struggle at off ball back in 2020. Um, but this past year, he didn't play awful a lot, but in the couple of games where he did have to step in um, and play in the box there when he did, you know, kind of down the stretch there, he did have some snaps in the box. I thought he played, you know, significantly better. He looked better when he was in the box, but like you said, the pass rushing, you know, production is just, it was not there. Um, it was very poor. He only had, um, you know, a sub 70 pass rush grade for the season. Um, but, you know, from a run defense perspective, like you said, very strong, 83.9. Um, and so I do think that he has the, the traits and the tools to, you know, very, very much greatly improve that pass rush production um, with another year returning back to the collegiate level. Um, and so I would probably say I, I personally I hope he does because I think it would be a good thing for Penn State's defense it would be a good thing for him. But if he does declare, um, I wouldn't just automatically rule him out to not being a productive NFL player at all whatsoever. I just think it would probably take him a little bit more time to get there um, than some other players. I, I kept you a couple of minutes longer than I meant to because I always love having smart football conversations. And when I want to do that, I bring in Anthony Tresh of PFF. Thanks for coming on the show and giving us your insight. Of course, man. Thank you for having me. That'll do it today for the BWI Daily Edition. Don't forget, coming up on Monday, we'll be back. And then after the uh, January 1st, after you have your pork and your sauerkraut, if you're in Pennsylvania, we will have, after the bowl game, BWI live show against uh, Arkansas, excuse me, almost we were talking about Auburn earlier, against Arkansas in the Outback Bowl. So stay tuned for all of that. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Talk to you later. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.